And uh, before I get off, John, I'll just say, like, I know we had different opinions, man. You've been a true professional. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and just, you know, talk because I think we need more of that. Welcome to the All-American Savage Show podcast with your host, John Burke, and his far more attractive co-host, me. Now, let's get into it. That's what your mom said. Welcome back to the All-American Savage Show podcast. I'm your host, John Burke. We have a special guest with us in the studio. Well, not in the studio via Skype. I always make the mistake of saying that. we got Colonel Stewart here today. I know that you're a very busy man. You just came off your book tour. And I appreciate you um, coming on the show today, especially given the conditions of how we've talked in the past. But uh, what I'd like to do real quick is to introduce you as to why you rose to prominence. Because I feel it has a very... Um, prolific input on why we're having this conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Stu Scheller. I was a Marine Corps infantry officer for 17 years and I was thrust in the media in August 26th last year. I made a video where I listed some mistakes that I saw of my senior leaders and asked for accountability of my senior leaders. Following that, I was uh, fired from my battalion commander job and I was, I felt like bullied and I had a choice whether to apologize and, and limp towards my retirement for the next three years or continue to make statements and, and try to force what I felt like the institution to address the content of my statements. And so the situation escalated after that. I continued to make statements. It ended with me going to jail for a little bit and then being court-martialed, and I ended up resigning short of my retirement. And then I got out of the Marine Corps Christmas Eve last year, so a little less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been on a bunch of media talking about my side of the story. I ended up writing a book. And as just described by John, I just finished my book tour and uh, kind of winding down for the holidays. I'll probably reemerge in January next year, uh, trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> your your career, you made it to colonel. So you'd actually, how, how long did you actually spend in the Marine Corps? 17 years almost to the day. Retirement's 20, correct? Because, yeah. I, yeah, I share Army Marines with the same. So you decided to step up because you you generated a lot of eyes on your character. Because you were, honestly, man, to be honest with you, you were the only officer that I actually saw, because I'd heard of you. You were the only officer that I'd seen stand up and say, you know, we need accountability. Um, this is just what has happened is atrocious. This should not go without um, being investigated. And somebody should be punished. Uh, you were the only one that stood up and did that, like realistically speaking. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to actually see officer leadership, even though it wasn't the army, uh, officer leadership grab their nuts and say, no, this isn't right. 
And you literally, and I hate to say this, but you are the kind of the classic example of what happens when you stand up to fight the system that people will sit there and challenge you and say, well, if you stay in, you change it. That's not the fact. When they have leadership in charge that's so high up the echelon, you can't change anything because it's a Pentagon level. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. So, you know, well, this conversation will evolve, but that's, I, I think, kind of, you know, as this conversation goes forward, why I have taken some of the stances I've taken recently, because everyone, when I made that stand, wanted to attack me with a hundred different things. And and the one thing that like never came out was anything inappropriate or bad in my, in my past. So just imagine the amount of people trying to discredit me and find something wrong. And it yeah. turns out like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I was a pretty decent leader. You know, my career was very successful up to that point. Mm -hmm. And despite all the narratives that were out there, and you also got to keep in mind, I was legally unable to address a lot of the content that was coming out about me. And so I was watching some of these versions of truth. I was watching some of these just factually incorrect things that were said about me. Mm -hmm. And it just really opened my eyes to how the media works, how the mm -hmm. military has weaponized the media in a lot of ways. And it was tough for me. And so I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I got through it. And, you know, like most of us, you know, we talk private message. I think a lot of us have different opinions, but at the same time, we're all passionate. And, and I'd like to think we're all trying to move in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a lot of these conversations can boil over into frustration. And I'm not above that. Like that's happened mm -hmm. to me against certain people. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, like I do believe we all want to fight for America and make this a better place. And, you know, especially us that have served, it's even maybe a little bit more personal, which is why it was so oh, hard yeah. for me, you know, after 17 years, all my experiences and everything I've done for America, for everyone to say that I was this extremist and it was politically motivated or was financially motivated, just all these things that just were factually incorrect uh, it was hard. It was definitely a challenging situation. It's it's sadly not a very uncommon position to take and to hear the things you just described. That's not uncommon whatsoever. And I feel like even when I served, I got out in 2016 and it was the exposure, uh, the exposing to how the MSM was actually weaponized by the government. Regardless of which political party is in place, you do see the MSM become certain mouthpieces for certain individuals. And like they say, the first casualty of that is truth. So to see like the character assassination they launched at you, yeah, because I think they even had saying stuff like, yeah, he's serving in the brig because he's a criminal. And even, you know, there were so many of us, uh, especially in the military meme community that were like, this guy's a hero. I was like, forget being under fire. This guy just threw away 17 years of blood, sweat and tears to stand for what was actually right, what was truthful and honest. And that's why it resonated in so many veterans' hearts uh, to see you take that stand. And so that brings us to the next point, which is the reason why you're here. Um, and by the way, Tony Cowden really speaks very highly of you. Tony reached out to me. He's like, I know Stu, he's a good man. So, and I never bring people on here to attack them. Um, what, what happens on social media happens on social media. Uh, but when somebody comes on this show, I'll always give them a platform to air their side of the story. And I'm never going to try and be biased. So with that being said, um, we turn to Junior Majewski, I believe his name is. Um, Junior Majewski, and I'm going to paint the picture real quick. Um, had done an interview, had conducted an interview where basically he kind of lied by omission in regards to where his service had led him. He claimed he had served in Afghanistan. Um, I'm, I'm sure you heard the interview. I have the audio bite. If you need me to play it, I don't think I need to. Um, and in said interview, Marjuski really led people to believe that he had actually served in a combat role in Afghanistan. Um, I'd even been messaged by Junior Majewski, and he confirmed he reached too far. He went way too far. He apologized and said he was going to essentially recant, make an apology. And this was after the veteran community turned on him hard. 
uh, especially in the military meme community, which I'm sure I know you're familiar with. Um, you've blocked a few of them, which a few of them are like, dude, unblock me. I want to talk to them. Um, these guys I know personally, some of which uh, have served in Ranger regiments, uh, ODAs across the world. And these guys really take these things in regards to stolen valor very seriously. Uh, for civilians that might be listening, stolen valor is just, it's, I think the only thing worse than stolen valor is like cowering under fire, uh, quite honestly. And Majewski was accused of this. The military meme community went after him. And it wasn't because of what his service was, which was technically he was stationed in Qatar. Uh, he worked in the Air Force and did a honorable position, not talking bad about that whatsoever, but that they attacked him for trying to essentially, through omissions, lying through omissions, make it as if he was a trigger puller when he was not. Um, has anything I've said so far, do you deem to be incorrect? No, I think the the debate here, I think everyone agrees that he served in Qatar on uh, whatever that squadron was. The question is whether he flew in and out of Afghanistan from Qatar. That's the that's the million dollar question. No, he said yes. Um, later on, he confirmed. He said, "Yeah, I flew uh, supply missions into Bagram and then right back out. Never did he squeeze a trigger. Never did he go outside the wire." And I and I don't mean this in the context of like looking down my nose at non-combat MOSs, because again, we all know you as a colonel, you know the cogs of the machine that are needed to make this thing turn. But when you present yourself, especially when you are running for Congress as a veteran and you embellish your service, you've essentially started your career, your potential political career out on a lie already. And the veteran community did not appreciate that. So that's where you came in. And I guess, I don't know how you and Rajewski, um, I'll let you take it from here and you tell your side of the story. And then I want to kind of weigh in on what the veteran community saw. Yeah, so I'm going to start with what you said about blocking certain people. And so yeah. I'm cool with somebody having a different opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and any type of intelligent discourse on my social media post, mm -hmm. I will never block you. So if anyone got blocked, like I didn't block you and you said some personal things about me mm -hmm. and I kind of let that roll off my back. I mean, there's a lot of people that have things to say about me. If I blocked you, it's because it was just straight up personal attacks and there was no intelligent discourse. And even on some of those, I came back and unblocked them when they mm -hmm. said they wanted to have a debate. So I did see that. Yeah. If there's somebody that's blocked that wants to have an intelligent debate, like I'm all for it. Like there's other people with different opinions mm -hmm. and I acknowledge that. Like I came on this show today knowing that we had a different opinion on this, mm -hmm. but I did it because, you know, as I told you in a message, just because we have different opinions doesn't mean that we can't have a debate. And I, and I asked myself like coming on here, am I gonna change John Burke's opinion? Probably not, mm -hmm. but it's important to me to come on the shows and show people that I may have a different opinion, but I'm brave enough to have a discourse. And so I've had disagreements with other people and I've asked them to have debates similar to this and then they avoid it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess my opinion was, if I'm gonna have a different opinion, I'm going to at least have the discourse. I may not change your mind, mm -hmm. but I think I'm entitled to have a different opinion. And when you're just, you know, just personal attacks uh, consistently, you're probably gonna get blocked. Mm -hmm. And so I'd ask anyone that wants to have a debate with me, just, you know, if you got a show like John does and you want me to come on and have a different opinion, happy to do that. But what I'm not gonna do is just entertain personal attacks when there's not a lot of intelligent discourse. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, J.R. Majewski. Yeah, so I am from Ohio and I my whole platform was supporting veterans running for Congress. And so I supported a bunch of different people and I started to notice across the board how veterans service could be attacked. Another candidate, before I get to JR, was General Don Bolduc. This is a guy, a one-star, 
that served 10 deployments to Afghanistan, very much a trigger puller. It was commanded all uh, special forces in Africa. He was winning the Republican primary, and the Republicans ran a $4 million hit campaign, which is public information, calling him a terrorist. And so I'm looking at the battlefield of politics, and you know I'm pretty much an apolitical guy. I'm a conservative, but my position was just supporting veterans. And when I see someone like Don Boldick called a terrorist by the own party that he was running in, I feel like that's a discredit to all of veterans across the community. And so it's like, what am I trying to, to fight for? And I'm not just fighting for trigger pullers. I mean, all of the military is maybe 1% of the population. And I feel like oftentimes veterans that are successful are attacked by other veterans more so than any of the other population. And if we as a veteran community can come together and, and apply pressure on places like the Senate Armed Forces Committee, half of them don't have any military experience, right? Mm -hmm. And the ones that do have military experience, it's maybe four years at most. If you were to add up all the Senate Armed Forces Committee military experience, it wouldn't surpass what General Boldick had. Mm -hmm. But because General Boldick was a Trump supporter and kind of like a, a branded like a MAGA guy, he, he made some comments about uh, the election was stolen, that he walked back, which Okay, let me, I just, I just want to push pause real quick. We are, you are shifting focus away from Junior Majewski. I get what you're talking about as far as your point here. And yeah, I get it. That's, that's uh, honestly, I've been doing this for seven years. Welcome to politics. That's, I, I don't agree with it. I think it's one of the most ridiculous. We've been called domestic terrorists. I get your point there, but this isn't about him. We have to take it isolated issue by isolated issue. Junior Majewski fabricate or he embellished the service. And I do want to go back to the blocking issue you talked about. No one's questioning your level of um, commitment, your your honor. You've clearly served in the Marine Corps for a very long time. You didn't make it to that rank being a shitbag. No one's questioning your, um, honestly, your, your guts. I'm, I certainly appreciate you do coming on here because it does take a lot of guts. We have a lot of listeners to this show. But what I do focus on is I just want the truth. And honestly, I, I don't want to kind of frame this conversation with the intent of changing anyone's opinion. I just want the truth. Now, when Junior Majewski announced, when he did that interview, he came back and he told the military meme community, and the way I know the military meme community is essentially when somebody does something and what he did, they're going to leave comments to get your attention. And then if you don't go back and fix your screw up, then they're going to come after you. Um, they've done it to me. They've held me. This, this is a community that does a lot of good in the veteran space because they hold leaders accountable. Um, and they've changed a lot of things out there, especially in the uh, terms of uh, sexual harassment, assault in the military. But the point that I want to go back to is that where there's smoke, there's fire. The overwhelming majority of these various men and women that I, I know personally, when they come together and the consensus is this guy is lying. This is not right. This should be held accountable. This, this does need to be aired out because, and I had a conversation with him. He DM'd me and I respected him for that. And I told him, I was like, Junior, here's the deal. Just say you screwed up, apologize like a man, and we, we will back you, man. We'll back you 100%. We all screw up. I get it. Like, you, you know, everybody wants to be that frontline trigger puller. Everybody wants to be that Green Beret, that Spec Ops, Chris Kyle. I get it, man. I said, but the reality of it is be prideful in what you actually did. But he didn't do that. And then you endorsed him. Now, did you know at the time? Well, I assume you did because you made a post defending Junior. And in that post, you did what you kind of, you, you spoke how you just kind of did. And this idea of uniting the veteran community, we shouldn't attack each other. That's not what happens. That's not what's happening now. He lied. He should be held accountable, make amends and move on. That's all this is about. So I don't want to go down this road of this other colonel that was attacked and that has no bearing on this conversation whatsoever. Yeah. All right. So 
I was laying the groundwork to say, you know, everything that you just said there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't endorse him like I did when I was running with him. I'd like to think as a man, you know, I don't know the facts of everyone. I'm with him. I'm supporting a veteran. Mm -hmm. An AP article came out that mm -hmm. challenged his combat veteran status and whether he had been to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. He came out in a press conference. He didn't apologize. He said, I've been to Afghanistan. I think I rate the combat veteran uh, moniker and I have been to Afghanistan. And so the post that I made was, there is ways to find this information. Mm -hmm. And so my problem was when the AP article came out, everybody was immediately throwing him under the bus. And I started with what I went through. The media has an agenda, right? Mm -hmm. And so when the Air Force, even in that AP article, said there's no way to confirm whether JR has been in Afghanistan or not, there was a second article that came out from the national file that said that they had talked to other people in his unit and that they validated they had gone to Afghanistan, mm. but they was an anonymous source. I actually called that guy, that public, pub, uh, that author of that mm. article, and I said, yeah. hey, nobody wants anonymous sources. And even if it was uh, not anonymous, and, the, and like his, you know, J.R. Majewski's friend came out and, and used his name, still that's not definitive proof. We still don't have definitive proof whether he flew in Afghanistan or not. And well, he also said was, that his DD-214 was classified. Yeah, but I guess the DD-214 is not going to say, so the guy deployed to Qatar in May of 2002. Mm -hmm. In 2002, we just started Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So do I know if JR flew from Qatar to Afghanistan? I honestly don't. The post that I made was mm -hmm. essentially saying, there's ways to find this out. Mm -hmm. So rather than when that AP article came out and everyone reacted, my point was the Air Force PAO, probably a major that said there's no way to find out. That's not true. Mm -hmm. There are command chronologies, I've written many of them, that go to archives of military institutions. And in those archives, you could find the commander mm -hmm. of that squadron. And a good journalist could go back to that squadron commander and ask, how many missions did his unit fly from Qatar to Afghanistan? So my point wasn't, hey, JR's not lying. My point was, we don't have enough information to know if he flew from Afghanistan or not and to immediately damn a veteran mm -hmm. based on incomplete information, based on everything that I went through, I felt like was misguided. Well, when JR did that initial interview, the anonymous source and that the I know the reporter you're talking about that wrote that AP article, they didn't they didn't just pull that out of the ether. There was grounds for investigation based upon what JR himself had actually said. Then the investigations began and then JR started making some very weird statements that were like, wait, something's not at. I mean, you know. You know, when you when you hear a stolen valor case and they start saying some things that don't add up, come on. I was in I was in Iraq in 03. I was already serving in 2001. Um, our DD2, our, I was in the initial push in 03. Our DD214s reflected accordingly right off the bat. I mean, I hate to admit that, but that was one thing the Army did get right as far as the actual paperwork that went into the deployment statuses and things such as that. But there hasn't been a DD214 yet that I've seen, and I know a lot of spec ups guys, where uh, deployment locations was ever redacted or classified. I haven't seen it. Never yeah, saw so that. I looked at that document too. Like, mm -hmm. I agree that that's weird and it makes your eyebrow raise. But so then I, you I, can understand why the veteran community, man, I, I say this, and I still think there's a lot of veterans that deservingly so do respect you. You have a lot of pull in the veteran community. You're the only dude that had the guts enough to stand up and say, here am I. So when you did this, the perception across the board. It wasn't that people just instantly wanted to jump on Marzewski. They wanted to jump onto you. But yeah. the veteran community is very good at gatekeeping because we've seen, and I hate to say this, we've seen the Crenshaws. We've seen some people come out there from our community. I, I like Crenshaw as a man. I don't agree with him politically on a lot of stuff. But we feel like there have been people in the veteran community that have went out there in the political spectrum to accurately represent the veteran space, and then they just flip. 
And it's yeah. like, we're tired of it. We're tired of it. And it hurts. It really does hurt because we don't have a lot of good combat veterans with their mouth uh, on the freaking in Congress's ear. So when this hit, it was just like, damn, this stung. Like, even yeah. I knew who you were, dude. And I was like, nah, th there's no way. And then I saw the post like, oh, God damn it. So Tony Calden, you brought him up earlier. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, like, your guys' relationship, but I think he was talking to you and he called me. And Tony He's been said, on the show. Hey. Tony's a good dude. Tony was like, hey, Stu, like, I love you. You got to back away from this. And I guess my position was exactly what I just said. Mm -hmm. I like to look at the facts and understand them. And where I really want to jump in mm -hmm. is when everyone moves out in one direction without all the facts. Right. And that's what I told Tony. Like, it says classified. Like, that is super weird. Completely agreed. Mm -hmm. But as I, I'm not a handwriting expert. As I look at it, <laughs> the rest of it, the top of it is written right. in the same handwriting. And it was some army specialist from the administration department. So, like, I don't know if some E3, you know, if JR is pulling the documents out, if some E3 in the Air Force just wrote that on there, does it seem weird? Absolutely. Are there deployments on a DD-214 that aren't on there? I have them. Like, I was in Egypt during the uh, the, the revolution there where al-Sisi, uh, you know, challenged and, and imprisoned the president, mm -hmm. and I had to get evac. Like, that's not on my DD-214. So, like, you know. Okay, fair enough. I, I just looked at it and said, is there weird things? Should JR have said... You know, like I wasn't a trigger puller. I wasn't in the front lines. Like, yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. But to say he's not a combat veteran, that's like a, I don't know. I, I pause with that. Cause if he was in Afghanistan, like that's a separate debate. A guy that flew in and out of Afghanistan on an airfield, is he a combat veteran? Like by the definition he is, but mm -hmm. like, I understand your point and everybody wants somebody to be honest. Like I'm brave enough to say if the information came out and like, that squadron commander, a journalist, actually reached out to him and said, did you guys run missions to Afghanistan? Which I told that national file guy to do, and he just never followed up. Mm -hmm. If he came out and said, yeah, we never ran missions to Afghanistan, like, I would think that I'm man enough to come up and say, hey, I was wrong. But at the same time, like, my position has never been, uh, you know, he's telling the truth. My position has been we don't have enough information to completely damn him. And it's frustrating to me when everybody just assumes based on an AP article that may have an agenda without all the information. So you're saying the post that you made on your Instagram page where you basically you you very, you tiptoed around it. It was like I kind of it was almost like a Martin Luther King Jr. speech. Like I have a dream where veterans and it was very well worded. I'll give it to you. Like I, I love journalism. I love um, I love reading. It's just a, but when I read that, I was like, this has the makings of a very good Martin Luther King Jr. for the veterans space speech. I have a dream where veterans don't attack veterans where we could, uh, bro, I've been there with, I know veterans love attacking other veterans. And that, that is a whole different debate in regards to, um, the toxicity of the veteran community. But I don't feel like that was, that's applicable in this situation. But I do like your point as far as, uh, going down the rabbit hole of what qualifies somebody as being a combat veteran. And I think by and large, uh, civilians don't understand the meaning behind that. They just think that if you were over in Afghanistan, you're automatically a combat veteran. And there's a difference between somebody who served in a combat theater versus somebody that was on the front lines engaged in the actual fighting, in which we all know asymmetrical battlefield over there was a 360 degree. But even still, um, but I just, I want to go back to that point though. JR even DM'd me and said, yeah, I was wrong. I intentionally did it. And then the other thing that really put the nail in his coffin, um, which I have never seen this happen. This was really mind blowing to me. A good buddy of mine, the 18 Alpha Chronicles over on Instagram. I'm sure you know him. He, I think he follows you and he's probably had some good, uh, he's, he's a good dude. He's someone that you definitely want to talk with. Um, he brought up the fact that Junior's uncle that he posted about, who was supposedly a Navy SEAL, 
Uh, he posted on his Instagram, and his uncle, during the Vietnam era in his SEAL uniform, has about three unauthorized chins. I've never seen a Vietnam-era fat Navy SEAL. They did some investigating. He was stolen valor, too. So, naturally... I, I, dude, I don't... I don't know anything about this. So, like, so I that's even okay. On this. Okay. So that's why I'm trying to think, or I'm trying to come to the conclusion that do you think maybe you, you saw, cause you said you want to help veterans run noble commendable. I don't, I want to help good candidates run. If they're a veteran outstanding, I want, I want that. But by the virtue of being a veteran does not mean I'm going to throw my support behind you. And I'm not saying that in a negative connotation or a negative light. Do you think maybe you jumped the gun on endorsing junior without really fully knowing everything about him? No, I mean, okay. there's no way you. I can't... gave you a way out there, man. That was the way out. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you're honest. I'm glad you're honest. The bottom line is, I'm out there supporting people that you know. I don't agree with you. I want good candidates too. Like some of my favorite politicians aren't veterans at all. So like, at yeah. no point did I say I Who's don't want the best candidate. Like I do want the best candidate. But a lot of my platform has been advocating for veterans. I am mm -hmm. just a guy who takes the information that I have and analyzes, it, and then I'll endorse them. Is there information that could come to light after the fact that would change my thinking? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I found out J.R. Majewski was lying after the fact, would that change my mind? Yes, it would. But I can't live my life thinking like I have to know all the information about a person before I endorse them. I look at the information that I have, mm -hmm. I do what I can to help them, and then if the situation changes, I update my analysis of the situation. So, mm -hmm. you know, like hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's like the same thing that I went through in my ordeal. People are always like, you made all these mistakes and it's like, absolutely I did. But yeah. when you're in the situation, like you can just sit on the sideline and not do anything and protect yourself so that you don't receive criticism True. or you can get in the arena and fight. And I was in the arena fighting. I mm -hmm. supported a candidate in Northern Ohio, my home state, that was a veteran. Other information came out and my statements after the fact were, let's wait until we figure out what is actually going on here. Mm -hmm. And you know, I still don't, I, I still can't tell you definitively if he's been in Afghanistan or not. Like you said, he DM'd you. I've talked to him on the phone multiple mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. He has been very adamant that he has flown in and out of Afghanistan. Oh, that's not the question. No, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, he probably did fly in and out of Afghanistan. Um, he said that was his job. That was his, you know, that was his specialty. That's not what's on the table here. Again, it's the perception that he created that, again, in the interview, I mean, here, let me just play this for you real quick, because, again, I feel like this this needs to be listened to, because Junior Majewski made no buts about it. He lied about his service. Listen to his interview right here. How many tours? One second. Did you serve in Afghanistan? Yes, I did. How many tours? One. What, what year were you there? What years? Uh, 2000, 2002, 2003. Wow, so you served right at, right at the beginning. Okay, so that right there, he wasn't stationed in Afghanistan. He was stationed in Qatar. He did fly, he did fly supply was, missions. Can you, can you tell me the context of that interview? Uh, the the guy was. This is, I think, before he announced he was running for Congress. This is on yeah, an interview. Eighteen I've Alpha. Never heard that. Where, really? Yeah. Eighteen Alpha posted on his Instagram. I assumed you'd seen her. Maybe you tagged it. No, that was Junior Majewski conducting an interview, and that is what created the stir and the controversy, which led to the AP investigating his claims because a lot of veterans came forward saying, "No, this guy is lying. This is this is not what he did. This is where it started. This is what it started from." And then again, the classification of the DD two fourteen, and then he DM'd me. Stu, I can send you this screenshot where he even said i reached i'm sorry i'm gonna apologize and i was like dude 
Water under the bridge. Cool. You're forgiven in my book. I know we, we kind of get hyped up. You, I think he had the best intentions. He wanted to go over there and change things for Ohio. But I would much rather have a Democrat that I know is my enemy that I'm probably going to disagree with than a conservative, a rhino in name. Well, I shouldn't even say rhino. I'd just say a lying veteran conservative who I don't know if that guy's telling me the truth or not because he already started his campaign on a fundamental lie. And that's a very serious lie. This isn't like, oh, did I say a racist joke in the packs? Ah, versus like, dude, I'm lying about something that's very serious to quite honestly a large amount of supporters from my voter base yeah i mean that interview right there should he have apologized for overreaching and saying he served in afghanistan like he flew in and out of afghanistan commendable like, commendable yeah. yeah and so you know the ap article that says he wasn't a combat veteran or hadn't been to afghanistan because it was on his dd214 i mean those were the statements that i made i was like hey mm -hmm. I, I don't have enough information to say that he hasn't been to Afghanistan, so I'm not quick to damn him. And, th and that was my position. And you know what? Like, if JR came out tomorrow and said he hadn't been to Afghanistan, or if his squadron commander came out and said we never flew missions to Afghanistan, I would change my position. But, you know, I was, I, I still believe that he flew in and out of Afghanistan. And I believe that the combat veteran, uh, you know, I don't get all upset if he uses the term combat veteran. Now, saying he served in Afghanistan, you know, that's probably something he should have backed away from, but, you know, that's where we're at. That's that's exactly what this whole ordeal has been about. And again, it's not about him flying into Afghanistan. Everybody actually believes him on that. Again, it's just this, the passing well, off. I'll like, say, you know, what I'll also say, though, is the press mm -hmm. conference that he gave, nobody asked about that. Mm -hmm. They were asking, the questions they asked him, and that's what I watched, was the press conference he gave after this AP article came out, mm -hmm. was that he had flown in and out of Afghanistan, and he was stationed in Qatar, and that he was a combat veteran. And then no one was like, well, you said uh, before you ran in politics that you served in Afghanistan, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, I don't know. But you can see the picture now, because like, I, I could have swore you'd seen that interview. But now that you're exposed to different information, and I'll send you the video if you want to see it firsthand, because it's literally him talking to this guy during the interview. And like I said, this is what basically threw the fire, or where there's a smoke before the fire, and everybody started investigating. And again, Junior could have got in front of it. He could have just said, yeah, screwed up. Sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way. He knew what he was doing. And the DMs he sent me, Stu, it's ridiculous. He, he clearly admitted it. I even published the DMs. I was like, look, and I wasn't going to do that at first. I wanted to give him enough time to where it's like, look, and he even said, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to make this right. I was like, bro, I'll back you then, 100%. I was like, that's, that's a great position to have. That's what a real man does. When you screw up, hey, man, I screwed up. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. Forgive me. He didn't. He doubled down. And... You know, it does matter in the long term because Trump endorsed him. Yeah. Trump endorsed him and the veteran community saw Trump's blind endorsement. And therefore, the, the secondary and tertiary effects of that are now veterans in the GOP are going to say, well, Trump endorsed the dude that's basically stolen valor. So either Trump doesn't care or Trump doesn't know what's actually going on. And he's just throwing around blind endorsements. Therefore, any candidate that he supports, realistically, we don't know if that guy is a Trump guy or if he's just endorsing him for whatever reasons. So these things do have secondary and tertiary effects that maybe aren't seen on the surface level. But deep down below in the veteran space, it has massive effects. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're kind of saying the same thing now. Okay. Like, if he said he served in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and I was doing the, if I, Stu Scheller was doing the press conference, I'd have come out and been like, yeah. hey, I flew in and out of Afghanistan. Me saying I served in Afghanistan was an overreach, but I have gone flown in and out. I am a combat veteran by mm -hmm. my understanding of it. I understand I wasn't a trigger puller. Like, I agree with you that that would have been a better way to handle that press conference. Mm -hmm. um, well... I'm glad. I'm, I shouldn't say I'm glad. I, at least now, hopefully, you've got another side of the story. So maybe you can, uh, 
you know, just think about it and give it a consideration because honestly, dude, you still got a lot of support out there and the way the track record you're going, um, you're bringing a lot of issues, uh, in front of important people. And that's, that's what we need more of. So I do appreciate you coming on the show. So now that we got that out of our way, um, what are you doing now? You know, I, I finished the book tour. I kind of started with, I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, turn of next year. There's a lot of people that want me to go into politics. And quite honestly, <laughs> um, you kind of already have, you kind of already have. Yeah. I mean, I you just, got a taste I, of it. I hate, politicians. I hate politics. It's just to your point, you know, I look at all these other people and I just want good, honest, authentic people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I don't get a lot of that out of my current leaders, but it's just, it's so draining. Like I, I physically, spiritually, mentally, like everywhere I'm going, um, it takes a lot out of me. I think I'd prefer to just be a farmer to be honest with you. But, but I, at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I'm, everybody agrees with that. No one disagreed. But the question under the surface was one of standards. So are, what are the standards? We want everyone to be able to go out and try out for the standard. But you know, the analogy I make in the book is like the NBA and the WNBA. The WNBA is equal opportunity. It's not equality. If it was equality, all of those players would try out for the same team. Now, imagine hypothetically a basketball game that's played and one team gets to pick all the best players Mm -hmm. and one team reserves spots for every gender, ethnicity, sexual identity, and they play each other and the losing team gets killed because Mm -hmm. that's the outcome in war. Mm -hmm. And if you had to stake your child to the outcome of that game, which team would you pick, right? And so when President Obama came, I was a, a major at the time working at the basic school where we create military occupational specialties for young officers. And so it's very important because in the general officer ranks, at least in the Marine Corps, statistically, you can look at it, there are less minorities and females in the general officer ranks. And so you can make the the critical race theory is that the system is inherently racist. You can make the argument based on stats that the system is inherently racist based on there's not as many general officers. But the deeper problem, like if you actually analyze this, general officers are created from combat arms. And there wasn't a lot of females and minorities in combat arms. And so specifically where we created, you know, the ground MOS contracts at the basic school, black officers weren't going into infantry. And when I asked them, like, why not? A lot of them said they wanted a marketable skill. Mm -hmm. Then it became this deeper conversation was, is it the military's responsibility to go into the homes of young families and, and change the thinking that if they go into the military, they should be pursuing a combat arm so that they're statistically more likely to go become a general officer. And, and so we were working through all of this. I was, I was writing all these briefs for a panel called Dakowitz, which is the Defense Advisory for Women in Combat. Mm-hmm. And the tension got so high that uh, Ray Mabus came down to the basic school to talk about uh, essentially women in combat roles. And, and he, was, he said exactly what President Obama's position was. Everyone's going to have a, a, an opportunity to serve. And everyone, again, agreed with that. But some captain was brave enough to ask the Secretary of the Navy, Secretary of the Navy Mabus, can you address standards? Will standards change? And he came back and said, standards won't change, but they will evolve. And then we were all more confused than when he came. And, you know, so we've been struggling with this really since the Obama administration. Right now, I can say definitively in the infantry, the physical standards for males and females are different. Like, that's a fact. And so it's just, um, I think everyone wants one performance standard and, you know, let the chips fall based on, on how that works. And that's kind of been... 
Uh, you you know as well as I do that if that actually went into effect, you're going to see an even further decrease of women in combat, MOSs, and, and arms and things such as that because, yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. It's very interesting that you actually had to deal with that firsthand because when I was a drill sergeant on the trail, literally the same thing. It was basically we were checking boxes. We have to make sure that we get a certain quota. This is before women were allowed in the infantry. And it, back, during, back then, I saw the weakening of standards, lowering of standards, and this is when Afghanistan was still kicking off. And it worried me. It really was a, a crisis of conscience that now, as drill sergeants, we're not training these kids up to the level they need to be trained to get over there and to be effective, uh, much less to, when they get down to a team leader and we're handing that team leader a good finished product. It was the same thing. It was the idea of we need to lower the standards for the sake of equality. Uh, and it becomes literally an everybody gets a trophy thing. And I do like your, your example there of saying, like, it's like when one team fight, fights the other and the loser dies, it's like, yeah, do you want to put your child in that, that position? Um, I do want to move forward real quick. And I'm sorry for bouncing around, though, but I do want to pick your brain on this. What are your thoughts on what's going on with uh, Ukraine and Russia? Man, that the if you weren't getting fired, into politics, you sure are now. <laughs> this was fired into Poland scared me a tremendous amount, mm -hmm. right? And so I think in the news today they were saying that potentially they came from Ukraine, mm -hmm. but like who knows the reality, right? Like, well, they said it was like an S three hundred. I know I'm not a. I was an infantry guy. I'm not a missile tech dude, but they said it was an S three hundred, which due to the actual range, like 150 kilometers, wasn't a. It couldn't have been Russia. So it was basically in my mind, I was the same way. I was like, wait a minute. This doesn't add up. Why is Russia that's already in a stalemate with Ukraine trying to pull NATO into this? So it's like this is either somebody's trying to perpetuate this or there was some kind of stupid Ukrainian privates are like, uh oh. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously still a very dangerous situation, but, you know, I, I'm just frustrated by the amount of money that we've funneled into Ukraine. I do appreciate that we haven't thrown forces at it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, Ukraine. Even though Zelensky in the media a lot of times is painted as a hero, I was in uh, Lebanon and Beirut in 2006, and Israel invaded Lebanon, and Hezbollah had dug tunnels, and even though Israel had overwhelming armament, Hezbollah took it to them. Mm -hmm. And Ukraine has had at least five years since the Crimea incident uh, to build tunnels and have a defense, but they've really done nothing to prepare just because they've expected People like the United States to show up with $100 billion and all these assets to run a proxy war. And it's really frustrating when all the problems that we have here in the United States that we're continuing to allow this. Now, does the United States want to defend democracy? I, yeah, I think we do. Is Putin the aggressor? Yeah, he is. Um, and so it's a complicated situation. But if I was the president of the SECDEF, I would be handling it differently than we are now. How would you handle it? I would force our European partners to step up. And as much as I don't want Vladimir Putin to destabilize the area, you know, over the long term, if we're conditioning all our European and NATO partners that the United States is just going to throw $100 billion at every problem and they don't have to have any type of defensive system, mm -hmm. then I think actually on the long term scale, we're crippling people. I can definitely agree with that. I do want to go back to the 2014 coup in Ukraine, where this is where a lot of people are kind of changing their mind. And it doesn't make them Putin apologize. I don't. Well, let me let me push pause on that. I know you. What year did you go in? Did you start serving? Uh, January of five. Okay, I was in an 01, so we were same time frame. Like coming up in my career, all we ever trained to fight before Iraq fully kicked off was the Big Red Bear. Everything was Russian geared, uh, armor on armor. And then, did it shock you to see what Ukraine via NATO, EU, USA did? But it still shock you to see like the Big Red Bear does not have as big a claws as we thought. 
Uh, I'll tell you, I always kind of knew, if people always really? talk about European threats, I always knew Russia was never on the same page as China. Mm -hmm. um, they've got uh, antiquated 80s-style Soviet arms. Uh, but they do have some upgrade in their tanks, but they're still a very centralized system. I mean, and so, yeah, I, I guess to your point, I thought they maybe would be a little bit more effective. Um, but at the same time, very easy to invade, much harder to hold, like you and I know, right? And so his last couple of campaigns, it was like a quick little insurgency in and Georgia out. Georgia in 2008, that's, yep, yeah. That's right. But when you actually are trying to invade and then hold and mm -hmm. change the government, that's where the wheels come off the bus very quickly. You would think America's learned its lesson in that aspect after right. what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but no, I, I fully agree with you there. But it's like, I don't know if I really consider Russia the aggressor. I think Russia was provoked. The EU has been flexing on Russia for a very long time. The history of Ukraine is a very interesting one, and I feel like a lot of people didn't really know much about Ukraine prior to this. So this definitely woke up a lot of people, myself included. When this first kicked off, it's like, I don't really know much about uh, the Ukrainian history. But then when you start doing some digging, in, and I, I definitely listened to a lot of lectures from Ukrainian experts back in 2014 and uh, did a lot of educational reading on the coup and such, things started to change. And it just turned into, it's like, we don't, I, I don't pick a side on this one. I was like, look, it's all screwed up. I don't want yeah. anything to do with it. This, I don't want to, like, I'm with you. I don't want to send American men and women to go fight and die in some war that a previous administration helped facilitate back in 2014 in the long term. So that's where I feel like a lot of people are starting to veer towards is saying they're starting to see that. America does not need to be the babysitter of the world. We saw it in Vietnam. We saw it in various other countries, other various conflicts. And I feel like the American population, by and large, they're, they're exhausted. They're exhausted of combat. I agree with you. I, so Vladimir Putin, I read his, uh, for lack of a better term, national security strategy back in 17 when I was a command staff. So he mm -hmm. published in 17. This was like 18, 19 when I read it. And it very clearly states, like through almost every page, that their imminent threat is NATO and the expansion oh, yeah. of NATO, and everything that they do is focused on NATO. Now, did Vlad, does Vladimir Putin have a antiquated style thinking for land grab? Yes, he does. He still wants to expand into the old, you know, the Soviet, Soviet Union, Union. Yeah. And so he's using NATO as an excuse, but at the same time, we've given him some of those excuses. That True. being said- I, I agree. I fully agree. America's got blood on its hand. I am, yeah, I agree. But I'll say, I think Putin's thinking hasn't evolved, like in today's world. Yeah shaping the beliefs of the people is maybe one of the most important things. I mean, look at us, like we're caught in an information technology world that like brings conversations and, and how we shape people's beliefs is mm -hmm. very important. And so by invading, like look at Finland and Sweden, he polarized <laughs> them. So he might have actually had the opposite effect of what he was originally trying to do. So yeah. Yeah, you know, I, those guys are just like, sitting there actually, going, oh, please, God, don't invade. Oh, my God, just don't, just don't, please don't. Like, they're just like, just keep focused on Ukraine. Don't fuck with us, please, please. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what you said earlier of it's all messed up. Like, why do we have to pick sides? And there's a, that's actually a very mature response. Like, and not a lot of people can do that, but it, it's just messed up all the way around. Well, it's like you said, we get sucked into this vast uh, echo chamber, be it left, center, or right, and say, you know, you have to pick a side. It's like, well, look, maybe if you actually put yourself in the shoes of a deployed soldier over there, you might take a second to pause and say, wait a minute, is this really worth fighting and dying for? And in my opinion, it's not. This is a Ukrainian issue, but again america does have we got blood on our hands on this and it's come from political elites corrupted political elites for power grab money grabs and just come to find out i'm sure you've seen the new um ftx got exposed yeah. um essentially the big money laundering operation with the uh, the dnc in ukraine and it's just like why do people why do we want to fight for these people why do we want to fight for governments anymore it's uh 
sometimes very demoralizing when you look yeah. at all of the inappropriateness. How did you how did you respond when and I hate saying it this way, but it's the truth when Afghanistan fell? I mean, I was so mad, but I was trying not to be like that guy that like grabbed a beer can and just threw it at the TV. I was trying to make rational arguments as to why I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they just, you know, I could go through the list, but just the list of decisions that were made is just, um, it was almost uncomprehendable. I, I was so frustrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt like that definitely resonated through the veteran community as a whole when that actually happened. Again, to your credit, that's when you stepped up and a lot of people were like, look at this dude. Like, nobody's heard of this guy. And then suddenly, boom, he's like got the world's attention. It's like, this is what we need. And then sadly, you know, I think there's a lot of other officer and enlisted cowards that should have done the same. I think if people in mass would have stood up and said, no, this is, and I know that goes again. That's to, to describe for the civilian viewers what he did essentially. Fuck. That's a, uh, that's a very difficult position to take because now you're going against all the training. And I will say at the indoctrination that we go through is that you will follow an order whether or not you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you will follow an order blindly because you have to have that in the military, especially as a team, especially as a small unit team or whatever you want to call it, like a platoon, company, great, whatever. Um, and you went against that thinking. Yeah. You stood up and said, I'm going against everything. And here's the other thing. You went against what you even teach your, so your young Marines to do. And that was, you know, that's a big testament to your character. And this, again, that's why when the whole junior thing was just like, dude, no. We can't, we can't lose this guy. Like we must protect this dude at all costs. I, you know, I think, I think I teach my young Marines that to try to do the right thing and use critical thought. And there's times where you just got to shut up and, and follow the rules. Obviously yeah. I wasn't like a moral crusader cause there's yeah. inappropriateness that you see everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't have made it 17 years by always just running my mouth. Yeah. But this was one of those where I just, I couldn't remain complacent anymore. And in the military, if you're supposed to follow order unless it's illegal, yeah. immoral, or unethical. Mm -hmm. Illegal is pretty easy. Those are written down. Yeah. But the immoral or unethical, that's a subjective academic debate. Yep. Like I would argue General McKenzie evacuating military troops in the peak fighting season before he evacuated American citizens was immoral and unethical. And so like the debate rages on. And so it's, you know, you just need to, you apply judgment sometimes. And that was one of those situations where I was like, look around. You know, what you just said though, and this is the thing that really scares me as a prior enlisted dude, when you got an officer that has had very expensive education, very expensive, tra extensive training, the officer corps has a very structured pipeline, much longer than enlisted. We literally just spit in a cup, they check our butthole and we're serving. That's all there is to it. Officers, they actually vet you guys because essentially you got a lot of lives in your hands when you make these calls. You bring up what that general did, which is a tactical blunder that even the lowest ranking private would be like, yeah, that's probably not a good idea, sir. And he did it anyway. So that, that leaves a lot of enlisted people to say, why do we have an officer corps? Because these guys have made some blunders and some, some massive, and I'm not saying enlisted don't either, but it's just like, and maybe I shouldn't have framed it in the sense of why do we have an officer corps, but it's like, why are these men allowed to continue serving and why are they not held accountable and tried for their crimes and for not following doctrine, quite honestly? Yeah, I mean, it's a deeper question. The, right now, there's no third arm of uh, government like we have in, in the civilian world. So there's no judicial arm in the yeah. military. So the judicial arm is governed by them. So like when, when that suicide attack happened and we flew a drone strike and killed nothing but women and children, we yeah. investigated ourselves and said it was a mistake, but yeah. nobody's going to be held accountable. My right? bad. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then Congress, their lever of control is the budget. And they're too afraid to use the budget, similar to, you know, kind of some of the same conversations we're having. So imagine 
a congressman that stands against the budget, I could see the veteran community or the, the American population in whole saying, you don't you don't support veterans. Yeah. But really what they're trying to do on the macro level is say, you want $750 billion? I'm going to take $80 billion off the top yeah. unless you can give me three names that are accountable. So Congress doesn't use the budget because they feel the need to support the veterans in, in any cause. Yeah. And then the commander-in-chief has never fired a general for warfighting capability. I mean, like, look at McChrystal. If you speak out in a Rolling Stone article, you can get fired. Mm. Ethical concerns, you get fired. But to fire someone for warfighting capability would reflect on the commander-in-chief. And so these guys are just left unchecked. Yeah. And it's, it's very frustrating. And I also say... The reason these people get to the top without pushing back is a systemic failure. These subjective evaluations that we have in the military, it's it's less about your performance and more about getting your boss to like you. Yeah. So when you condition someone over 40 years is what it takes to make a four-star general, and you have literally conditioned and weeded out the people that don't just try to make their boss like them but might be focused on other things like warfighting, mm-hmm. they don't make it. And so what you ultimately get are the General McKenzie's and the Carter Hams of Benghazi that follow orders no matter what in common sense moments where we need generals to exercise moral courage. They just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to go ahead and wrap this interview up, but I do want to ask you one final question. And if you could change one thing about the Marine Corps right now, what would it be? The promotion system. I would take away the subjective evaluation and make it performance-based. If I'm an infantry officer, I should have to perform against another infantry officer with 30 Marines in my platoon, and the winner gets promoted, not the person that makes their boss like them the most. And I would do that. If you're an F-15 pilot, go against another F-15 pilot. And so across the board, I would make it a performance-based system. And then I don't care if my boss doesn't like me. As long as I go out on the field and I perform, Mm -hmm. then that's how I should get promoted. So that'll never happen. That makes common sense. Why would they ever do that? Uh, Colonel, where can they find you on social media and where can they find your book? So uh, my book is Crisis of Command. It's on Amazon. It can be found at all the places, uh, Barnes & Noble, whatnot. And then I have a website called AuthenticAmericans.com. All my social media is tied to it, but all my social media is pretty much at Stuart Scheller. And uh, before I get off, John, I'll just say, like, I know we had different opinions, man. You've been a true professional. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and just you know, talk, because I think we need more of that. I agree. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes people to freaking fire some shots across the bow, because that's how I got Crenshaw's uh, attention. So I got a lot, because I've had a lot of congressmen on the show. And unfortunately, that's what it usually has to resort to. Uh, but no, I will say it's a massive testament to your courage to come on a show where you know you're going to have somebody um, that's going to counter your opinion. And again, I'm, I'm happy that we could have this discussion. You definitely earned a follow on Instagram for me. And if you do decide to run the political arena, Hit me up before you endorse anybody, please. (laughs) Would you fucking hit me up? (laughs) Colonel, it has been an absolute honor and a big thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, brother. Take care. Later.